1: Shall we share a word of prayer? Father, thank you that we can come together in your name. Thank you that we can come together with things in common. And thank you that we can come together because of the blood that was shed for us. I pray that this evening will be a profitable time to your people. I pray that this evening every resistance to the word of God will be broken. I pray that this word will get to our very spirits and change us for eternity, O God. I pray that you will give us the grace to receive and to do this word. I pray for your anointing, and I pray that you will speak to every heart and every life here what you want to say, Lord. For if I am to use my human wisdom, I may think that your people have different needs. But you are God, and you know how to meet us at the point of our need. I pray that your will will be done this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, please take your seats. Well, I'm happy to be here. I just want to speak very briefly on the topic we must endure. We must endure. Um, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We must endure. Endurance is the same as having patience. Amen. Amen. Patience helps you to endure. If you don't have patience, you cannot endure. Amen. Amen. And so Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. Can I have the King James Version? Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. Reading from verse 12
2: actually. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. And I read from the King James. That you do not become sluggish. But imitate those who through faith and patience. Inherit the promises. Continue. For when God made a promise to Abraham. Because he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself saying. Surely blessing I will bless you. And multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured he obtained the promise amen amen now the bible says that we should not be sluggish. sluggish to be sluggish
1: means to be slow to be lazy and usually when you are slow and lazy it means you don't have passion or you don't have zeal for what you are doing or you are fed up you are tired you are not interested. That is what will bring on sluggishness. And the Bible is saying here that, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. I believe that we've had a lot of teaching about faith. And we need faith to make it in this life. Because if you're always going to live by what you see, and by what you hear, and by your circumstances that you experience, you can never move on in life. I believe that that's why the Bible says that just shall live by faith. It is a way of life. It is not something that you put on and put off. It is something that we always have to walk by. And Paul said that we walk by faith, not by sight. But he said that we should imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. So, Faith, simply put, maybe believing in God, trusting in God, all that is good. But through faith and patience, not just faith. Amen. Amen. So believing God is great. Walking by faith is great. But without patience, your faith will not last. Amen. Amen. And patience means that you can wait for a long time. You can endure for a long time. You can be at a place for a long time without breaking down or giving in. That is what it means. And the Bible continues and says that, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promises. Amen. Abraham is the father of faith. Yeah? But he haven't patiently waited. The ability to wait. The ability to wait till God brings a miracle. The ability to wait till you see God's promises. The ability to wait even when you don't see God's promises here on earth and you are going to see it in eternity. Because Hebrews 11 says that some of them, they saw the promises from afar off. And they never embraced it, but they still walked by faith. So Abraham patiently waited or patiently endured. That's what King James said. So, enduring is one thing, but patiently enduring is also another level. Amen. And if Abraham patiently endured, God swore by himself as to what he would do for Abraham. He said, Surely in blessing I will bless you. Not uncertainly or if you are fortunate or maybe, but surely. With God, it was sure. But with Abraham, he needed patience and faith to wait till God showed up. And how many times in our lives does it seem as if God delays? When I look at the way he does things, I know that if I were God, I wouldn't operate that way. I wouldn't wait for Lazarus to die, be buried three days. And when they tell me, I say, okay, I know. And then I spend a day or two more where I am. And then later, I say that our friend Lazarus is dead. Let us go so that we will raise him. Is it not easier to go when he's sick? Is it not easier to go when he has not been embalmed and the stone has not been rolled? Is it not easier To perform a miracle in that why do you bring so many obstacles before you will go and raise Lazarus? And that is why you and I are not God. Hallelujah. And sometimes the situations in our lives are like Lazarus cases. When we call on God, He doesn't come. The situation may be at the sixth stage, He doesn't show up. And He waits for the Lazarus to die. And when it dies, He still doesn't come till three days when he's thinking. It's rotten and it has begun to decompose. That is when Jesus decides to take a walk and come. And often we are tempted to think that he doesn't even care. But isn't it surprising that when he got there, the Bible says and Jesus wept. God in working a miracle doesn't look necessarily at the difficulties. But he looks at what he wants to accomplish for us. Somebody was telling me about a film called Almighty God or so, Where God, Almighty Bruce, or Bruce Almighty, where God gave the power to a man to rule the world. And the man decided that he would say yes to everybody, everybody's prayer. And when he said yes, what chaos there was. The insurance companies closed down because nobody was having accidents. There were no fire outbreaks. There were no, every, the whole world came to a standstill. And with our human mind we feel that every prayer must be answered but with god's mind sometimes we look back and we thank god that he didn't answer that prayer amen, amen. amen. you have need of patience so that after you have and done the promise you may inherit the promises that's what the bible says you have need of patience so that after you have done the will of god the will of God of calling on him. The will of God of praying. The will of God of raising your hands and say, Lord, I don't have any way out. All that is the will of God. But after you have done the will of God, it says you have need of patience. Why? So that you may inherit the promises. But usually, we are in transit. Because between doing the will of God and inheriting the promises. And we give up in transit. Amen. And I realize that in ministry... There are many, many obstacles before you get to where God wants you to get. And you will have much opportunity to give up. up, One of the things the devil uses is, do you think your contribution is necessary? Do you think you are contributing anything to the kingdom of God or to the church of God or to where you are? Do you think what you are doing is significant? That's one of the ways in which the devil attacks us. And then we decide, oh, what I'm doing is not significant. Because I myself am not significant. So let me stop. Because what I'm doing, it doesn't come on my SABC. There are no posters for what I do. It cannot be anything useful. But it's a life from hell. Some of us think, okay, well, if Benin is doing crusades, Bishop is doing healing Jesus crusades with trucks, then my small outreach in my branch, what will it do? But that small outreach in your branch, those people cannot come and do it. Amen. It takes you for that to be done. Amen. Amen. And many times the devil comes to you and says, What you are doing is not necessary. And I know from personal experience that sometimes I feel like giving up. So this thing that I'm doing is not necessary. This thing that I'm doing is not reaching anybody. It's not helping anybody. Let me just stop and and do something else, or just relax. I'm worrying myself. And I thank God that every time I have such a temptation, that is the day that I'm going to receive more emails, more text messages, as if the people know, and they just say, oh, I, I'm just sending a text to say don't give up. Oh, I'm just sending a text to say, I just listened to this uh, tape, and don't stop preaching, something people keep saying. And they don't know what it does sometimes. Sometimes it comes as a very crucial moment when I feel, is it necessary? And if Jesus had looked at his work, said the whole world, only three years, God has waited until I'm 30 before he releases me into ministry. And when I come to, at 33, he allows me to be killed. Three years, how can I reach the world? But God is the one building and he knows the first floor and the second floor and what he's putting on top of each other. You know, so Jesus could have felt that he had failed. Because by the time he was leaving, the whole world had not heard the gospel. He said, "The Son of Man came to seek and to save the Lord. For God so loved the world. So if he had looked at what God had said his vision was and what he had accomplished, he would have said, "That look, looking at what I've accomplished, I don't think I'm in the will of God." But the twelve disciples, the five hundred, who believed. and did not really come. The one twenty in the upper room, that was the key. Just pouring his life into those people was enough. But if he had looked at that ambitious program, he would have said, hey, how will I do it? When God told Adam and Eve, replenish the earth. The earth? But we are only two. And we've only had Cain and Abel when one has been killed. And after one has been killed, God has given me another one called Seth. How can the four of us replenish the earth? How are we going to... Well, how many nights will we not sleep? Before we replenish the earth. But God knew how to bring it about. He just wanted them to do their parts. Amen. Amen. And some of these are some of the things that when you you look at it, I'm, I'm insignificant. What I'm doing is insignificant. It makes you want to throw in the towel, to give up, and to say it's not going to work. Now, I was looking at the life of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. Maybe we should go to it. And I've heard, read some Bible commentary that has said that when they look at the virtuous woman and all that she did, they feel that she's not normal. She cannot be a normal woman to be doing all these things. Wakes up in the night, feeds her household, her husband trusts in her, her husband is known in the gates, she goes to the merchant, she's like, one person. How does she accomplish all that? But I believe it. It is possible with God. Amen. And the many things that the virtuous woman does are not because she's married. There are only two things or three that refer to her marriage. And that is the verse 10 that... Um, no, verse 11, that the heart of her husband trusts in her. And then the verse that says that her husband is known in the gates. And the verse that says that she wakes up early to give food to her household. And uh, she's not afraid of the future. Maybe four verses. But all the other things are not related to marriage. But as I looked at her life, I decided that perhaps we could take out some of the verses and see what her temptations would be. Your temptation is the opposite of what is good. Amen. So, one of her temptations may be, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. We would like to do good some days and evil some days. But the Bible says she does him good and not evil. Not that she just does him good. Because God knew, so he added and not evil. Because sometimes you do him good, but you also do evil, there too. But she does him good and not evil. Not some of the days, but all the days of her life. And in order to do that, you need to be somebody who has patience. I think that if you are not patient, you cannot marry. And if you do not have the tenacity and the grace to endure, you will give up. Because you will say, ah, when I was in my mother's house, all these things were not happening. Eh? Even my mother was the one cooking for me. Now look at all these problems. Let me just go. We give up easily, and that is why many times Our marital unions don't work. Because we get discouraged very easily. And then also because before we got married, we were given very false notions and we never knew that we were now entering a time of trials and temptations. We thought that we're entering a time of relaxation and peace where we'll put our legs up and be very happy and dainty and and even when your your parents are somewhere say, Oh, you just be somewhere, you have a few days till I enter paradise. No, but she does him good and not evil. Those are some of the things that try your patience. Marriage will try your patience and your ability to endure. It will. Amen. Because there is nothing that calls upon you to be as unselfish as marriage. Once I heard Pastor Jake preach, he said that marriage will wash you in and out like Omo. I don't know if you know Omo, but it's a type of powdered soap. So it will wash you in and out. And I just imagine if you are a garment being washed, it's not easy. By the time you are finished and you've been rinsed and run ground and <laughs> you may be faded. <laughs> Amen. And those are that is one of the areas that we give up easily. Because we look up to the person and not to God. God, lady pastor, I'm staying with the person. He's doing the things. And you are saying, I should look up to God. How can that be? And then sometimes your whole prayer topic is this man, this man, this man. And then God seems to be closing his ears more and more and more. Because God's idea is not to change the man, but to change you. Amen. Amen. And the only way he can change you is through that fairness of affliction. If he doesn't use that, you will stay as you are. We are very difficult to change as human beings. But for God to teach you patience, endurance, the fruits of the spirit, he will, take you. He will give you something that you love. And yet the thing also creates pain for you. So you are in the middle. You don't know it. Hey, hey Pastor, What should I do? Looking unto Jesus. <laughs> it means one of the things we have to endure is marriage. And then she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. It means that the opposite will be that we don't do anything. It's easier to sit there and not do anything than to go and look for wool and flax. How? And work with her hands with delight. Many of us don't delight to work. And even that's why sometimes we have trials in our marriages because before we got married, everything we just put in the microwave and we eat it. And we ate leftovers. But now you, you make food say, I don't like this. I like this. I say, what type of life is all this? You chose it. <laughs> she looks for wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. The opposite of that will be you don't look for anything to work with. You just sit where you are. And when you are like that, your patience is likely not to be tried. Because you are not trying anything. And there's nothing that's not working for you. So you've just created a so-called comfort zone for yourself. And you don't look for wool and flax to work willingly with. You see, when there was a camp in Ghana for the missionaries, and um, it was a long camp, I thought. So the only slot I could get for them, the wives was a Saturday evening, and I myself, I was very tired, and I felt, well, these people will be very tired. Sunday, they have to go to church. They've been come the whole time. Should they really come for this meeting? Is this meeting really necessary? But I felt that God was saying that it was necessary. So when they came, I said to them that, well, I know that you've been anointed, you've been released with your husbands and everything. It's been great. We thank God. But the burden that's on my heart is how you can survive on the mission field as a missionary wife. And how you can overcome idleness. Because another thing the Bible says about the virtuous woman, she does not eat the bread of idleness. That is also the opposite of that is that you eat the bread of idleness. Idleness spiritually, idleness financially, idleness physically, idleness mentally, not exercising our minds. They're all Part of the idleness. And all those things make you give up easily. Because when you are idle, the devil will look for depressive thoughts, other things to come your way. So you sit down in your depression, you cry, and you feel sorrier and sorrier for yourself. And you go deeper and deeper down into the pit and you never come out. Hallelujah. She does not eat the bread of idleness. The bread is there. But she decides that I am not going to eat this bread. So I said to them, let's look for ideas of what we can do on because you know i always think about them because sometimes you are alone on the mission field with your husband in the country you cannot speak the language you don't know the people you don't even know your way around and your husband is the only person so when he annoys you 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 have nobody you have no pastor in that sense your husband is your pastor but up to a certain percentage because there are certain things that You cannot go and discuss with the pastor. You are my problem. (laughs) Pastor, you are really worrying me. You cannot go and say that. And and expect the pastor to say, Oh, the pastor is not doing right. (laughs) You cannot be a judge in your own course. We say in law. So, there is a point at which your husband cannot... uh, uh, be your pastor. Because you receive from him, You but when it's between you and him, you are in a strange land. Who do you go to? What do you do? And often we also forget that because they are also in the ministry, they are also going through the same challenge of change that we are going through. But men are not verbal and they don't speak. So we feel that they should come so that the two of us will solve our problems together. Women like the us thing. You know? But a man will not even verbalize how he feels. So when you come and you say that, oh, I feel very lonely. Look, don't hinder the ministry. We are all cold. Let's move on. Let's move on. Who do you go to? And it is increased more by idleness. You see, because when the church is small, the members are three. Your husband has preached them. They've given their lives to Christ. He has done Holy Ghost Baptism. He's taught them new believers school. He has taught them how to witness. What else is there? Quiet time. (laughs) What else is there? You may ask yourself for me to do. But I've seen that you always have a path that you supply. That you may not think much of. Amen. But you will have those lonely moments. And it's not only on the mission field. You can be in a big city. You can know many people, but you can still be a very lonely person. (laughs) And you can still be alone. Amen. But I want to say that you can also rise up to some extent and do something about it. The Bible says about the virtuous woman that she stretches out her hand to the needy. She goes to where the merchant ships are. But many of you, you are waiting for the ships to come. You are waiting for people to be nice to you. You are waiting for people to be friendly to you. But he who will be friendly must first show himself friendly. So, lady pastor they are not my type oh lady pastor you have to break through and break forth hallelujah so idleness will let you want to give up because you are not doing anything you find everything boring you find everything meaningless oh, this thing is not worth it. you you make wrong evaluation based on your idleness the bible also says that she is not afraid of the winter or the snow that is to come She's not afraid of the changes of seasons in her life. I guarantee you that my greatest um, challenge is adapting to the various seasons in my life. And every time I, I, I ask God, how can I explain it? How can I articulate it? How can I make people understand what I'm saying? I'm not able to. I use words, but it's only to a point. I cannot explain When I say that, my greatest challenge is adapting to change all the time. And even sometimes, I cannot remember the bare facts. You understand? When we're moving, we've moved now to our new site. So Bishop was speaking at the cathedral about what we had been through and how God had used the whippings and the lashings and the tears to take us to a new place. And as he was preaching, I was thinking, it's true, those were very wild times for me. And I used to weep a lot, personally and privately. In my prayer time, I, I, I used to be so frightened sometimes, not knowing what next. When they bombed your husband's office, thinking that he's there and he's not there, they set fires all over the church. When you yourself are in danger, when you are coming, they call you and they say, no, stop here. Come here. We'll pick you up from here. And the day that we were attacked, my children were up in the Sunday school. I was on the floor of the church. My husband was either in the basement or on the floor of the church. I, and during second service, I sit at the back. And this was during the second service when we were attacked with broken bottles, whatever, out of nowhere. And People were screaming. Pregnant women were passing out. Blood was on the floor. And I was wondering, how do I get to my children up there? And everybody knew them. Even just by their color, you don't need much to go by. At the same time, people were looking for me and taking Bishop and I downstairs to the basement. And I could hear the screams. And and I couldn't go through the enemy territory also to get my children. And I thought that if even I went, that is what would bring their focus on me to see me with three children scrambling to come down. It would look funny. You know, so I didn't know what to do. So when we're taken down there, we just, they turned off all the lights so that it wouldn't be like there was anybody there. And we just spoke in tongues. At that time, there was no office. There was no basement. There was no air conditioning the way it is today. So I just sat there and I said, at least... I can speak in tongues. Maybe when you speak in tongues, God knows the prayer topic you are supposed to be praying. And then maybe something will come out of it. And by the grace of God, they came out unscathed. They were okay. You know, but that was a season. A season of attacks, fires, insecurity, not knowing, government coming in, mowing down the walls, all that was a whole period. But I was trying to remember that, no, there's more to it personally for me than just this account. And I could not remember the details at all. And up to now, I cannot remember. I just remember that it was a very difficult and painful period. But I have lost the, the details of the story. So even when I preach, I don't remember the details. I just know that it was a difficult time. But I'm not able to express it or explain it the way I would have liked to. But I just have to say that change has not been easy. And for instance, I am, I was used to my husband being a pastor in the church. Even though when he's pastoring, when he finishes preaching, he'll do counseling, whatever, I don't really see him much. In fact, when I go to church, to me, he's like somebody doing his work and I'm also somewhere. And the one I come home, then I know him. Do you understand? But now he's not there at all. It's also another season. He's not there at all. He goes to preach elsewhere. So I don't see him at all. At first I would see him, but maybe afar. But now I don't see him at all. And during the week, he leaves on Wednesday for healing Jesus Christ. He used to travel like people have invited him he would travel. But now it's another era of healing Jesus Crusade. And he has always come home to eat. Now I have to pack food for him to take with him. To healing Jesus Crusade. I have always been the one to save my husband. Now I've just lost all that. It's just gone. It just doesn't exist anymore. So he comes from the crusade. It just doesn't exist. And I've had to adjust to all this. And for me, the greatest challenge has been that the change is not one. Let's say if it's healing Jesus Crusade, then I know, okay, it's healing. I'll adjust to healing healing Jesus, not preaching on Sundays. (laughs) Different things all coming together at the same time. And I just look sometimes and say, God, how can I survive? At the beginning of this year, I asked God, how do you endure? How do I endure in the maze of all this? How? And the Lord said to me, that is why I always tell you to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. You have to live one day at a time. And he took me to the, the book of Exodus in the wilderness, and I said, don't you see that the children of Israel, I always gave them manna just for a day. And don't you know that I told them not to store it. And when they stored it, the quails or whatever, they turned into worms because I just want you to live one day at a time. So if you can do that, you will endure. Amen. And I said, God, it's true. Eh? Just give me grace so what is on the plate today that's what i deal with what is on the plate tomorrow i will get grace for that when i get there so i don't cross my bridges before i get to them and that is one of the keys to endure and that is how to endure a changing season the bible says about the virtuous but she's not afraid of winter why because she has made adequate preparation you have to be prepared spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically for any change that will come. Because change makes you feel like giving up. You know, there are times I tell my husband, I think God has the ra- wrong woman. And he gets very upset. He says, no, I think God has a thousand percent the right woman. And I say, no, God has the wrong woman. And he, g- he gets very upset. When you say such things, I don't appreciate it. You know, but there are times when I feel, no. God, you should have chosen a very strong person. choleric mover, you know. Not a frail person like me. That's what sometimes I think. You know, but God says, well, it's not about you. Anything I call you for, I equip you for. You know. Bible says if you are willing and obedient, you eat of it. The two willingness and obedience, that's all I'm asking you for. And even in our personal lives, there's also a lot of change. I preached a message some years ago, the woman in the midst of change. But I don't know where it is now. Mind do you have a copy? No. Okay. So, but maybe you can produce it for them later. So, because these days. When I'm at meetings, I realize that some things have been preached already, so I don't go back to preach them. I feel that you can get the message, and then we can move on. But in your own personal life, when you set out as a single person, it's different. When you go and get married, it's different. And the way you have children, it's different. When your children are growing, they are teenagers. It's also something else. When my son was going to boarding school, I wept. But my husband laughed. He had gone for healing, Jesus Christ. He called me. So where are you coming from? I said, I just dropped my baby off. Oh, come on. He's not a baby. But I was so heartbroken. I said, this boy is going to sleep in a strange bed. Wake up in a strange place. Go and bath with strange people. How did my son end up here? But in Ghana to boarding school is the way forward. And also, I believe that he should go so that he will know how to live with other people but at the same time it wasn't easy for me yeah. you know when he went in to put his things in and came out they had shouted at him and i could see that he was shaken so even the food i had for him mommy just take it away i don't want it and I, and I was leaving my son like that it wasn't easy for me but i had to go through that change and the year after the second one to lift so i started to tell people look you better space your children a bit more okay No, one year adjusting to my own personal family things. I'm also adjusting to the man I'm married to's life. Then I'm adjusting to my own life. Because when your husband is not there, you also get on autopilot spiritually. Movie, movie, moving. So when he rings, I'm coming. Oh, but I have this to do, this to do, this to do. I have to wind up now. That's also another challenge. Amen. But enduring the different seasons. There were times in my life when I wanted to go out to work, but I couldn't go out to work because there was no one to look after my children. And I didn't have a job. I had to go and look for. I didn't have a job. And I had two children. My husband had come full time, and the church was not able to pay him. So I had to survive somehow. But I thank God that those were the seasons when I got closer to it because affliction draws you closer to God. Affliction drives you to God. And, and, and you begin to know his worth more because of what you have been through. And when I was practicing as a lawyer, there were times when I added to my life selling of clothes. And I used to sell clothes in the office where I was. You know? Yo, this, this is nice. I'll go and take it from my cousin. Sell. Then At that time, I was not very experienced in ministry, so There was a lady in the woman with direction who was very hard up. She didn't have anything. She had children and she saw me selling the things. She said, I would like to sell some Just let me take you to the source. I gave her some to sell and she never paid the woman back. And the woman came back and said, I've added it to your debt, so pay. all my profits. (laughs) You know, but when I look back, I realize that my life has been enriched by all these things. And when I talk to people that do this, do that, there are things I've done before. It's not like you are sitting on some elitism and then you know you are just a bishop servant, you're just telling us do this because that brings me back to the missionary meeting. I said, let's look for ideas of what we are going to do. Otherwise, idleness will kill us. So we started to, and I brought a man who was a mechanical engineer and had changed on his own accord to become a poultry farmer, and who is now a millionaire, has built houses, has bought Cars, and that week I bought three brand new cars, all paid for. You know, and I I, I brought my, I said, tell us your story. So he told us, identify a need and meet it. And he said that anything that disturbs you, sometimes you move to a country, you say, there are no good schools here, everything is so rotten. It's a a need. It's something you can do something about. Don't think that somebody else has to come in. Then after that, I said, let's bring ideas. Okay, why don't you do... Hiring of wedding gowns, where you are, maybe it will work. Now, you can do selling of African clothes. You can do, and then there was a missionary's wife who is advanced in the business. So she also got up and she spoke and all that. And I cannot tell you the number of ideas that came. And as they've gone back, many of them are sending me reports. Not things that you have a degree for. Not things that you've been trained for, but I can see they are happier women. Amen. Because you have to be able to adjust. This man, he was not adjusting because of the ministry. He was adjusting because life. He was a mechanical engineer, but he was able to... And he said, when he became a poultry farm, people said to him, why have you gone so low? What's wrong? The, the, your tribe should not be doing such jobs. That's what he was told. You know, so the bread of idleness and, and the not being prepared for the seasons of change as soon as the season comes you must change and sometimes the seasons come unannounced but as soon as they arrive we must say lord give me wisdom to know how to adjust to this new season that i've come to bishop was preaching about seasons yesterday he said that the seasons never change so if you say that oh it's winter but for me i wear my summer things i will never change you stand to lose, not the season. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But you have to say, no, I have to go and get a winter jacket. I need some boots. I need... You have to adjust to the season. And I promise you, in ministry, there are many seasons. In the, even the women's ministry, there's been many seasons. When I started, I had a small group like this, a small Bible study group in the TV room at NTC. I had no big plans or no big ambitions. Let's just meet like this. And then it began to grow. Okay, let's have our first women's convention. We didn't even have a name. So, okay, let's call it the complete woman. So we organized and we had it. I don't know whether it was just Friday night or Saturday night. We had our first convention. It was very powerful by the grace of God. It was as we went along that my husband said to me, oh, but you need a name for what you are doing. Let me give you a name. Daughter, you can make it. Too. That's a powerful name. We'll run with it. And as we increase, before the other things came up, now there are branches, now there are metro churches, but it was not like that. Different seasons, and learning to walk in the different seasons of your life. Some of you, you came from very close family ties. Your mother, your sisters, yourself, your brothers, you all eat together, you flow. Now you have gone to my, your husband is not even in the house. You are used to a close-knit family and it's not happening. It's a season of change. You have to ask yourself, how am I going to still survive and not allow my heart to be damaged in the midst of this time of change? God will have to give you wisdom. You have to be imitators of those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. And even those of us who have inherited some of the promises, we are still on the road. When you inherit, you don't just sit down. You still keep walking. Hallelujah, because there are more things ahead that God has not revealed to us yet. As we go to the Kodesh, the church has suddenly exploded. It's grown, especially the third service. New people have joined the church. That means more pastoral care. That means more intense prayer and whatever it takes. Whatever you were doing times three or times two or whatever. It's also another season. When you are not used to something. So she does not eat the bread of idleness. She stretches out her hand to the needy. These are the things that will keep us going. So that we don't give up. But we endure. Until the end. Hallelujah. Ministry you can give up. No matter how high you have gone. There's a very powerful pastor. Who spoke with us. With Bishop at a conference here. Our first time When we came to Jobeck to preach at Grace Bible Church, 1995. Powerful minister. He was staying with us at the same hotel. And we got to know him. He was from another country. And he had so many branches, about 17 or so. And then with the passage of time, he had 30. You know, he was a pastor doing well. The churches were thriving, whatever. But I think that there were different seasons in the ministry so after a while, we met him said, so I've come to Witts University. I'm doing a Master's in finance and something. I said, "Really, do you need that for your church work Maybe that's why you are?" Oh no. I, I got tired of people and how people can treat you, and I decided to take a break, and during that break, I decided to read a Master's in Finance. After that, I'll go back. But I was tired of people. So, we found it a bit strange, but we took it in good faith that he's tired of people, that's why he's... Then we went to that country and met him. And he said, oh, I've handed over all my churches, I now just have oversight, and I've gone back to the secular world. Really? Why? Oh, in the secular world, I get more opportunity to meet unbelievers and to witness to them and all that. Really? Is that the vision God is giving? Oh, yes, that's the vision. But I still have oversight over my churches. Okay. And this time we've been here, we asked, where is he? Oh, he's left his country. He now lives in America. Nothing to do with the ministry again. This was a great man of God. And my husband said, "Eh, this is we are seeing a lot of these things. It is not when you are small and then you give up, but you need endurance for any level that you are on. To continue, to press on, to be on that road. And many times when we give up, we think that we are just giving up to rest. But actually, Satan has plans for you. Plans not of prosperity but of disaster. To bring you to to his expected end. So we asked about other preachers, great people in South Africa. What about this person? Oh, he believed that he was a psalmist called. So then he, he migrated. He went to work in Nigeria. He was doing well there. But it was more for commercial gain. Now he's not in the ministry anymore. He doesn't do any worship anymore. He said, and we have their videos. We have their DVDs. And you should see them ministering. And the crowds clapping, weeping at the move of God. They are not in ministry anymore. And we are still on that road. Hey, we can't say that it's not us, it's them. No! We say, what is it that does not make them endure? The subtle suggestions of Satan. Your heart will be broken. You will be offended. Satan, you will even be offended against God who seems to be deaf and dumb. Amen. Amen. And all that makes you want to give up. And even Abraham, he was tempted to give up. That's why he had Ishmael. Let me have something that looks like the promise. Close and parallel, but not the same. Let me have that. And then God said, you, you, you can't outwit me. This is not my heir. The promise that I said that you had to wait for, that is the same promise. And he had to keep on waiting. He's a father of faith. It didn't fall to him on a silver platter. One of the verses that touches me, Hebrews 11:17, 17, I believe, says that Abraham, when he was called, he went out not knowing where he was going. It's a very serious verse. How can I not know where I'm going? At least he heard God's voice. What about Sarah? You didn't hear. He came to call you. When he said, where are you going? He says that, ah, we are going. It takes faith, eh? It takes faith in the unseen to walk on that road. And then he says, oh, that God who spoke, he says he's going to give us a promise. And then the promise too is not coming. Because we feel that after we have paid that sacrifice, he too should do his part. But he is not like a Lebanese man who says money on my right, house on my left, exchange. That's not God. (laughs) He shows up at his own time. And the more I try to... uh, understand him the more baffled i become why did he not just give jesus some poison sleeping tablet, something to just die Do you have to bring him naked put him on a cross nail him everybody see him naked why why all this could he not have drunk something and just died quietly every easter i say oh god your ways are sometimes beyond but once I was asking God, well, why did Jesus have to die that way? Your own son. And he said that. Because if I had given him poison like you are suggesting, that even the people in the Texan prisons, they are just given lethal um, injections, and then they die, you know, quietly and silent. If I had done that, no blood would have been shed. There would have been no rejection. People would not have derided him. The diseases, the scars, the stripes, all that would not have come up. And then my people's salvation would not have been complete. I said, ah, that's why I'm not God. Because I believe in peaceful methods, Mahatma Gandhi, non-violence. Amen. But we have to endure to the end. Now, Lady Pastor, you have said we have to endure different seasons. We have to endure different stages of ministry. We have to endure our own personal and family changes. We have to endure when we don't see God's hand and when we pray, it doesn't seem to hear and all that we have to endure. But how do we endure? How? The Bible says, who against hope believed in hope? Against hope who? Against hope. What does it mean? Contrary to hope. It means the thing that you are looking at is against hope. But you decide that you believe in hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Sometimes you don't believe because you have evidence. You don't believe because it looks good. You don't believe because you are encouraged. But you believe only because he lives. That's the only reason. So I tell people, that's why I keep saying he gives you beauty for ashes because we look at the ashes and we say, you know what? It's not ashes. There's no reason to live for anything. But God says that even when it's ashes, I can bring beauty. Who, against hope, believed in hope? That is what made Abraham survive. Against hope, he believed in hope. Are there times when whatever you, you seem to be looking at is against hope? Against hope. When you look at it, it's, oh, this thing. And then we start to count the years. Lady Pastor has been 20 years, 25 years. So, Lady Pastor, against hope. Believed in hope. And another thing he did, giving glory unto God. Romans chapter 4. Let's read it. Don't worry, we'll end soon. Romans chapter 4. <laughs> Let's read from um,
2: verse 17. He's supposed to like, can you read it? Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and called those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, Hmm. so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body Already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. (laughs) He did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief. But was strengthened in faith giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. Amen.
1: I want you to look at verse 20. Okay, we've looked at who against hope. (laughs) in verse 18 believed in hope that he may become a father of many nations according to what? that which had been spoken not according to what people are saying about you not according to how you feel not according to how painful it is but according to that which had been spoken against hope he believed in hope it means that he looked at the thing it was against hope but he believed in hope amen And not being weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Amen. Which was as good as dead. That situation was dead. Do you have dead situation? It was dead. And the Bible is not saying, you know, it looked dead, but his own body was dead. The body that they said would reproduce a child was a dead body. Even if it were a young man's body and the promise has not come, I say, oh, we believe God. about this one, He considered not his own body, which was dead. As good as dead, that's what the Bible says. (laughs) Nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Two dead, even if it's one, and your wife is young, you take it like that. It is against hope, I tell you, and many times in your life you will come to niches and junctions where it is against hope. Considering what has been said. Considering the judgment and the verdict against you, you don't see how you come out of that thing. He wavered not at the promise of God in unbelief, but was strong in faith. How? Giving glory to God. We need to give glory to God. Not for the deadness of our bodies, but for the fact that you said it. I can't feel it. I'm actually weeping, but I thank you that you are God. That's all. That is what will make your faith grow. Amen. Giving glory to God. I, I like the King James. Please can somebody read it. He wavered not at the promise of God. King James, verse 20. He's targeting on at uh, Verse 20.
2: Verse 20. He did not waver at all. I think you this new King James. Oh. One the original King Bless James. Me. Verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God.
1: Giving glory to God, he was strong in faith, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able. Believe in God's ability and not yours, that he was able also to perform it. If you look at Lazarus' situation, you say, Jesus is not coming because he's embarrassed. He didn't come. Lazarus has died. He's embarrassed. That's why he's not coming. I don't know. You know that you are preaching to people for three days. They will be hungry. You wait. On the third day when the Bible says they are so weak, they can't walk. You are now asking that. What can we do? Are you not God? Don't you see ahead of time You come and deliver us from Egypt. Instead of leading us to a road where there's land, you take us to the Red Sea. Impossible situations. We stand before the sea, we don't know how to cross. Why do you bring us before the sea in the first place? So that what? That he can make a road in the sea. The ability of God is mind blowing. And usually with our human mind, we cannot comprehend. So sometimes I, I tell God, you know, I think I'm having a lot of unbelief and doubt. Help my unbelief. And help me believe. Being frank with God. Because the Bible is frank. He considered not the deadness of his own. But if we were writing it, we we'll feel that I'll be embarrassing God by writing this. Yeah. So let me write that. He didn't look at his condition. A general, you know, Type of nice statement. I wouldn't say deadness of Sarah's womb. I say, no Sarah's condition. I will not say it as it is. But the Bible tells us that the two were dead. Dead body, dead womb. What can come out of it? Only a miracle. And usually we survive the changing seasons and difficult by believing that when everything comes to an end, God can still perform a miracle. That's the only thing that makes us endure. Sometimes you go through disloyalty. Say, hey, "Me, I'm not going to love people again. Oh. People are this, that, that, that. No. Love them again. It's a miracle. God will help you. You will survive. Amen. Amen. I think that the greatest thing in ministry, if you want opportunity to be offended, come into the ministry. That's where you'll be offended the most. Amen you have much opportunity to be offended and if we don't hold you you will get into the boxing ring and spoil all the church because you are sorting out your issues yourself but i've come to see that when i leave my issues to god he solves them better my only problem with god is the way he delays that's the only beef i have with him is that he can really delay When I tell him, God, this is happening. God, arrest the situation. God, rise up, let go. And then he seems to be asleep. Like the disciples in the boat. Why do you wait for waves, storms, and things? Then you are asleep on a pillow under the boat. You are not even where the action is. You are asleep. And we have to wake you and ask you, Carest not thou that we perish? Don't you care? And that's one of the temptations when things are hard. We feel that he does not care, but we are afraid as Christians to say to our friend that I think he doesn't care. Mm. It's like it's blasphemy. You know, we feel guilty, want to do what is right, but at the time, we feel them and we don't know. But David spoke to God frankly. He said, why have you deserted me? I go, I've become a proverb and a Bible. People are laughing at me. Why? Amen. But I believe at patience. Many marriages will work if only we had patience. Many relationships will work if only we had patience. Many churches will work if we had patience. Many, the callings of God in our lives would come forth if only we had patience. But what we can say, oh no, what they are giving me, I'm above that. I don't have the patience to be a shepherd before I become a this, a lay minister. Before I become, I'm in a hurry. Do you know how anointed I am? And we never become what God wants us to become. One thing I can assure you when you are growing in God is that you have much opportunity to be broken. The higher you go, the more broken you become. Why? So the more anointing can be released. it was only when the alabaster box was broken that the ointment could be released. So as you go higher, more brokenness. That's why I'm surprised when people are growing and they are no humbler. It surprises me. Why are they still proud? Because as you grow, you become humbler and you realize a lot of things don't depend on you. Nana, isn't it? You become cool and sober. When you are young, you have a lot of things to say, like this one. When she talks in my office, I can just see her age. You know, oh, but I told my husband, oh, it's wise. hey, why? See I see the way. But why? If you are pregnant, does not mean you should be spitting? So somebody, why do people do? I say, you wait. <laughs> wait, because you don't know what yours will be. Do <laughs> you see? So the, the, the more you go, the more broken you become. And remember, Jesus said, this is my body broken. If the Son of Man was broken, why was he broken? For us, so that he could be shared. The more the anointing, the more brokenness you will have. And brokenness also makes you more dependent on God. And Jesus continues to say, let's have communion so that you will remember that my body was broken for you. For the entire world, all those who are saved, that body was broken so that they will be partakers of it. And he wants us to always remember his brokenness so that when we are also broken, We will not say, Lord, I want to leave the altar now. I never said I wanted to be sacrificed. Amen. And finally, Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. Hallelujah. Not let us just run. But let us run with patience. How do you say peces in Zulu? Begeze. Pengezena.
2: It's Begezela. The bee is soft. Begezela.
1: Begezela. Let us run with Begezela. The race that is set. Not just run. Not just activity, but with patience. Be patient with people. Be patient with the sheep God brings your way or your husband's way. Be patient with church members. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with your husband who does not even deserve your love. Be patient. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we run with patience? Looking unto Jesus. Not looking unto yourself. You'll give up. Amen. Not looking up to the person you are supposed to be. Maybe, you know, when we forgive people, we feel that the people should be very grateful. Yeah. You should be very grateful that I'm nice to you even though you don't deserve my kindness. You should be very grateful that I overlook all your things. But it's not, gra- it's not a favor. It's your duty as a child of God. Amen. So we look and say, he doesn't even appreciate how much I forgive him. He's not supposed to appreciate it. (laughs) Looking unto Jesus. If you look at man, you give up. If you look at yourself, you give up. If you look at your ability, you give up. If you look at your own strength, you give up. But if you look at Jesus, you will endure. Hallelujah. Looking unto Jesus. Many times we get so busy that so many things take our view and our attention. So we forget who we should look at. But in the midst of that, let's, let's find a place to look unto Jesus. Why? Because he's the beginning and the end of our faith. He begins with us and he's with us for the middle part and he sees us through to the end. We must endure. Jesus said, if you endure, I will give you a crown of life. Be thou faithful unto death. And I'll give you a crown of life. When you went to stand the lady and you were saying the vows, till death has do part. You were echoing what Jesus says. Be thou faithful unto death. Not unto when he behaves well. Not unto when he subject to good behavior. No. Unto death. When you were saying, you didn't know that that's what the vows meant. For better, for worse. You said in your head, what can be worse? I'm so in love. What can be worse?
0: It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh North Kaneshi. Or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.